It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. All right, fans, here we go. Four two-minute rounds of boxing scheduled. Women's in the ring. two-minute round your hooks and jabs look at the female fight world this is episode number 78 december 12th and tonight will be our last show of 2019 and we'll be coming back strong on on january the 9th with our first show of 2020 and on that night we will be having the best of 2019 my name is felipe leon and with me as always is mr david avila david how you doing tonight very good, Felipe. How are you, sir? Good, good. Thank you. And unfortunately, because she's having such a great time at the U.S. Olympic trials in, what is it, Port, Port Charles, Louisiana, Ms. Lupe Gutierrez may or may not be with us tonight. She says she might be trying to call us, but she is taking care of some business out there at the, U, at the U.S. Olympic trials. So uh, the winners of these fights, hopefully she calls in so she gives us some updates um, we'll go to the Olympics in 2020 in Tokyo, but with us now to close out this last show of 2019 in style and with the bang is the newly crowned IBF super lightweight champion, Miss Mary Merciless McGee. And let me patch her on here to the show. Hey, good evening, everybody. Hi, Mary. How you doing Hi, tonight? Mary. I'm good. How you guys doing? Good, good. Thank you for calling in. And I'm going to pass on the baton to Mr. David Avila. David, go right ahead. Mary, first off, uh, congratulations. I mean, that must have felt really good to finally win that world title. Yeah, I've been um, my whole career. I've always wanted to be a world champion. I had some times where I got close and got a shot, but never really succeeded to becoming a world champion. So it feels good to finally actually crack the door and become a world champion. And and you fought a pretty good fighter from Argentina, and you're familiar with Argentine fighters. You had fought Erica Farias, who at the time was one of the pound-for-pound best uh, fighters in the world. What was it like that first time when you fought Farias? Well, I fought her when she was undefeated. I believe she was 18-0 and 0 at the time. I traveled to her country. Um, there was a few things that went on that I didn't feel were quite fair, but I don't make a lot of excuses. I went and took the opportunity that was given to me, and I didn't win that fight. But that was when she was in her prime at that time, which was about six years ago. I took her on. So I also took on Holly Holmes for a world title in her prime. Well, what was that like fighting in uh, New Mexico in her 
that basically that was her oh, domain. Oh, she had thousands of fans there, and everybody, of course, is all about Holly Holmes out there. But she was kind to me. They gave me the proper time to train. She just was the better woman at night. And so you've been for for people that don't know, uh, you've been fighting for fourteen and a half years professionally. Um, professionally, yeah. Like? Been, how, how, I, how, how did you maintain it? I mean, that's a long career. Well, I've taken a hiatus. I've taken a break from it. Um, I had a son. Um, he's five now. So I had taken time off. That's why over the last few years it's been like a up and down scale for me in boxing because I'm trying to juggle being a professional fighter and also being a mother. But, um, yeah, I need it. Sometimes you need to step back and reevaluate your career, which I feel like was the best thing for me to do because now I came back and I'm a world champion. And you've been involved with boxing since about 2005, and you've seen women's boxing, you know, almost disappear because nobody would put yeah. female fighters on the, on the – what was it like for you? How, how did you keep it up? Go. Well, back then, um, I used to get a lot of people telling me, well, women fighters are never making any money, and it's a waste of time. And honestly, I love boxing so much, I was doing it for passion because it's a sport that I love and I wanted to be involved in. So that was my main reason for doing it. But then after having a child, it's no longer a dream. You have to make it a career. You have to make money because you have to take care of your family at that point. So that's what the changing point was for me the last few years. I had to work and take care of my son. But then with fighters like Clarissa Shields and Katie Taylor coming along, the Olympics happening for those guys, it changed women's boxing where you could actually make a living off of it. Well, I mean, how how did you make a change for yourself? Did you, did anybody, was there anybody in particular that helped you or, or guided you or, or decided to promote you? Yeah, well, I started working with Brian Cowan. Um, we were actually talking maybe over two years ago. I met him, and we talked a few times. And it took me a while to for us to talk and communicate on where we were going with my career, and I decided that he would be the best person to work with. And then he hooked me up with Lou DiBella, who decided to take a chance on me and get me this world title fight. And you fought in New York. Was that the first time you ever been to New York? First time ever being in New York. And then I was facing somebody who they pretty much, I was the underdog. Um, even though a lot of people liked me there, I still was the underdog because I was ranked number 22 in the world when she was ranked number five. And she had fought and won a world title maybe four or five times. She had the WBC, the IBF, and the WBA before, if I'm not mistaken. She had three world titles. Yeah, yeah, she's had a long career. And for people that don't know, the the Argentines, they're pretty busy in the female fight world. And Argentina is one of the few countries that they do support women's boxing. And they fight each other. Yeah, people don't know that. They think that it's just some South American country, but they're like Mexico. They have a lot of fighters, female fighters. Right, and they keep them busy, and that was part of the reason why I went out there those few years ago because those were where the opportunities were at. And what was the key for you to 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 beating uh, Anna Stetcher? Um, well, 
I had to establish my jab. I also had to um, work off my nerves. I had to um, not be so nervous and I had to not be so nervous and get out there and actually fight. Would you say that your style has changed over the years, or is it the same? Um, I think it's changed. I think I became a lot stronger and um, a little more patient than I used to be in the past. Um, I um, I feel like I box a little bit better than I did before. And, I mean, it has to do with age and things of that nature because I'm older than I was, too. You started about, what, 18, 19? Uh, no, I started, well, I started, I was an amateur at 13 years old, and I turned pro oh. about 18 or 19. Are you originally from Gary, Indiana, or Indianapolis? Yep, born and raised, yep. Would you call it a fight town? Mm, no, I wouldn't call it a fight town. I'm the only female boxer that they ever had, and still is the only one. First female world champion. I think the last male world champion they had that was actually from Gary was Tony Zell, and that was like in 1940 or something like that. <laughs> so yeah, it was a yeah that, <laughs> right. Champion, so that, that, was, that was a long time ago, you know. But uh, my city will make you strive to work hard for your dreams. I'll say that it's not a lot to do here. So when I do fight, it's pre- it's a pretty much a big deal in my city. So so what got you into boxing so young? Um, honestly I was chasing a boy into the gym. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was cute and he was a boxer and I was a cheerleader and he was like, I'm going to the boxing gym and I'm like, We don't have a boxing gym in Gary and he was like, Yes we do so I followed him there and I walked up to the coach because the coach said I couldn't be there unless I was a boxer. I said, Well I wanna box. And the coach didn't want me there. So three days after I was there, he got me beat up by two other fighters because he thought that would make me quit, but it made me train harder. And as I kept training, I just began to fall in love with the sport. So so did you quit cheerleading or did you do both? I I did both for maybe a couple months, but boxing just kind of took over my heart, so I quit cheerleading. Wow, what did your your family say when you when you decided to be a boxer? Well, um, at first they didn't say much, but my grandparents were raising me, and they were Jehovah Witnesses at the time. And uh, maybe after I was there about a year, I started making the paper because I was winning local tournaments. And the Kingdom Hall elders had told my grandmother that I had to move out of their house or quit boxing, and she told me that I needed to quit boxing. So. I, I told her I would, but what I did was I snuck and went to the gym, and then I ended up getting caught on a local channel fighting in Indianapolis, and my grandmother was mad. So I had to move out, and I, I lived with my cousin for a while. I lived in my car for a little while just because I wanted to box. Because I wow. told myself, I said I didn't never want – I was thinking about what I wanted to do, and I was 17 at the time, and I said, well – I don't want to never look on TV and see another girl boxing and say, well, that could have been me. So I decided to take a chance, and I, it was worth it. Well, so you were very determined. Nobody's going to stop you. Nope, not if I set my mind to something I want, I'm going to get it. Uh, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, did you train in Las Vegas for a little while? Yeah, I trained there for maybe six months. 
at best. But I knew it wasn't the place for me because they have a lot of fighters and, um, you know, they weren't, women boxing wasn't big then, so I had to move around. And and so when you got, when you signed with Brian, um, was signing with Brian, the reason that you signed with him, was it to get that world title fight? No, I signed with him because I seen how many female fighters that he had and how he were he was moving all of them pretty much and putting them in good putting them in the best opportunities that he could. They just had to be prepared for him and I knew that if I worked with him, he would get me the best opportunity that I could. I just had to be ready and that's exactly what he did and I'm a world champion. I I know that he also has uh, another uh fighter in your division, the super lightweight, uh, he has Christina Leonardo too, who, who just mm-hmm. fought uh, Katie Taylor. Uh, mm-hmm. When you saw her, did you think that you were going to fight Christina or or is your goal to fight Katie Taylor? My goal is to fight Katie Taylor. Um, I I wouldn't fight Christina. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm afraid of her, but we're on the same team and we both have a path. So if it doesn't make sense, I don't see the reason for us fighting each other, if that makes sense to you. And it's, it's like my weight class, at 140, if you look, that's where a lot of the female fighters are at. So and, it's and a lot of opportunities. Not, huh? And then not too far away uh, in Chicago is Jessica McCaskill. Is, is mm-hmm. that somebody that you that you look at as a possible, possible opponent? Um, yeah, I'd fight her in a heartbeat. Well, what there, you're both in the Midwest. Is there like a rivalry between Gary and Chicago? No, I actually used to spar with Jessica. My issue with Jessica is, well, when I used to spar with her, I was pretty much out of shape, but I used to beat her then. But I was out of shape, but I used to work with her, and we were, I thought we were cool. So I decided to make a comeback into boxing. And you know how they say, everybody's your friend until you become a threat. So... One day, um, I was having issues with my getting my fight made, so I personally myself made a GoFundMe page, and she made she cracked fun of it by saying, um, "If you have to make a GoFundMe page, then you sign with the wrong people, sis." So when she said that, I commented on her post and I said, "Well, I wouldn't have to make a GoFundMe page if you fight me," and she said she wasn't going to fight me because I didn't have a title, which this was a few months ago. So it was like a big issue. So for me, it's kind of personal because, I mean, you don't make fun of nobody's struggle. Everybody has things that they go to go through, and I was willing to do anything but give up. So I humbled myself and made that GoFundMe page, but it wasn't for her to make a joke about it, you know. So for me, oh. it, it was, yeah, slightly personal. And what, during your fight in New York, uh, what was the uh... – what was it like to fight there? What was the crowd like? Was it different for you? Yeah, it was. The crowd was pretty loud. They seemed to like me and my opponents. You know, they were cheering for the both of us. They I, they really just wanted to see a win, you know, or who they wanted to see a good fight. But it was nice to be in a different element. It was in my hometown. I never been there, so it wasn't like, oh well, I'm just a hometown girl. So that that just made it pretty cool. The pressure wasn't um, on neither one of us, like to fight for our hometown fans. 
So, so what are, uh, aside from Katie Taylor and Jessica Casco, is there anybody else that you would like to fight? Uh, where, do you Cecilia plan to stay in Brock- that division? Or Cecilia Brockes. Oh, okay. I like, yeah, I like to fight Cecilia Brockes. Those are uh, three main fights I like. If you ask me in order, I say... Katie, I say Jessica McCaskill, Katie Taylor, Cecilia Brockes. Wow, that's a that's a terrific trio right there. Um, right. I'm going to pass you on to to Felipe. I know he has a ton of questions for you too. Hold on just a second, Felipe. No turn it on. Hey, thank you, David. Hi, Mary. How you doing tonight? Hey, how are you? Good, good. Thank you. Getting back to the story of what brought you to that gym when you were 13 years old. What happened to that boy that you followed in there? Did he keep boxing? No, he he lasted for a little while, but he didn't. He didn't outlast me. I had stayed there within a within a year. They made me team captain, first female team captain, and all of that. So no, I outdid him. <laughs> and uh, and uh, that trainer that that got you beat up two days later is he the trainer that you have now or who's your trainer now? No, that that trainer um actually sad to say he's not he's in the nursing home now he's old older man. Mm. Um, the trainer I'm with now is Carlos Jones. But that and how trainer, long he's you... probably in his nineties. And, and how long have you been training with Carlos Jones? Is he the one that had you since you were nineteen? Maybe since I was about twenty or so, but uh, at least twelve years. Now you mentioned that you had your child and he's five years old. I actually follow you on social media, and I love the little stories that you put on about your your son. Sounds very precocious and very charismatic, and you kind of get into it with him. And I really, I really enjoy those little stories that you put there. So you mentioned he's five years old, and I'm looking at your record. That's when. Your career really started slowing down. You you had those two back-to-back mm-hmm. losses against Holly Holm and Farias, and then you kind of started slowing down. So, what kind of work did you did you get into to make ends meet? And are you still working even though you just won the world title? Um, I had start. I worked in a hospital as a nursing assistant, and I also did home health care. So I I take care of people with my hands, and I beat people up. <laughs> uh, so. I do a little bit of both, but um, yeah, after I fought for is uh, around the time um, I ended up getting pregnant with my son after that, and I decided I didn't know, like, I, I, my, at that time, I needed a break from boxing anyway, so having a kid was like a breath of fresh air for me, and, but the whole time, Mm -hmm. the whole time I was off, my, I I still had the desire to want to fight. My heart was still bleeding for it. So that was that was kind of my next question, where, you know, you have those two losses, you slow down, you have your son, you get into, you know, a a basically a schedule of working and taking care of your son. I could only imagine that you drive to work and then drive to pick him up and everything. And did it ever did it ever cross your mind that you know I've had a pretty good run, maybe that's it, or did you have that fire burning inside you that no matter what you're going to find a way to get back in that ring? For a little while, I thought that, but I didn't, I, I, the desire was like fading somewhat, but something deep inside kept telling me, no, that you still had some fight left in you. Some of the opportunities that I were, were, were offered wasn't the best one. So I couldn't judge off of those two losses that I got. 
And it just was something inside of me kept telling me to come back. And I, I would start working out and, like, making a comeback. But it also was difficult to make that comeback being a new mom because I had to take care of my child. And he started school. And I had to figure out the timing to train. Now, you mentioned that your grandparents had some issues with you fighting in the beginning. Is it everything okay now with them? Do they enjoy the fact that you're a female fighter and now a female world champion? Uh, Sad to say, my grandparents died three years ago. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. No, it's okay. Yeah, they they passed away three years ago. But my grandmother, she we had a great relationship even after that. It's just I couldn't expect her to give up something she loved doing for something I loved doing. So mm-hmm. it was a, cho- a compromise and a choice that had to be made. And I had to be mature enough to say, well, I'll move on to do what it is that I want to do, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, but our relationship stayed good after that. You mentioned that, that obviously your manager is Brian Cohen, who we know fairly well here on the show. We've interviewed a bunch of his uh, fighters on his table. Now, you mentioned that Lou DiBella took a chance on you. Does that mean that you're signed officially to Lou DiBella, or was this kind of like yeah. an offshoot? You're signed to Lou DiBella? Yeah, um, the winning of the title made me become one of his fighters, yeah. Okay, that's good to hear. Um, now, You've had three fights in the last three years. You had one fight in 2018, and this was your second fight of 2019. What, what was it that made you feel that you were ready, even though only having three fights in the last 36 months, that you were ready to take on the number five-ranked fighter in the world at 140 pounds and on a Laura Esteche for that world title? Well, me and her were coming from the same thing. She was on. She had a layoff too, and I felt as if we were pretty much even. If you get what I mean, as far as the timing of being out of the ring, so that didn't bother me. It was just the fact of um, who's going to be in better shape. We both had the same amount of time to train for the fight because we we knew at least. Uh, six to five months beforehand that we were going to fight each other soon. We both knew. But I also knew that if I couldn't beat her, then I wouldn't be able to beat bigger fighters. Like, I knew she was a a good uh, um, champion, and I know she went far, but that was a a test for me to see if I'm ready for the next level. So it was really, for me, um, I knew him. I believed in my skills. I knew in my heart that I can beat her. But it also was a test that even if I did not beat her, that was a great fighter that I was doing. Mm-hmm. Now, have you made it clear to not only Brian Cohen but Lou DiBella that if it was up to you, you would face Jessica McCaskill in 2020? Yeah, they know that. They know that. I- I'm going to take another fight here February 8th. Um, I don't know who yet. Brian is deciding that. And um, with the negotiations I made, right, uh, I plan to fight Jessica. I feel after like I can beat her. She's um, she's an easier fight, fight than Anna. Uh, then, and, yeah, if everything is yeah, if everything goes well. Yeah, I'll do it. All right, sounds good, David. Anything else before we let Miss uh, McGill go? Uh, no, only I just want to say uh, good luck and and. And I think uh, your career has been amazing. I mean, somebody who's lasted 
this long and has kept going uh, through ups and downs. Uh, I mean, your story is amazing. So I just want to thank tell you, you so much. What, one, last question. Thank you. one last question. One last question, Mary. How big of a Jackson 5 fan are you? Oh, I love the Jacksons. I do. It, it, I listen does to everybody in that. Does everybody in Gary love the Jacksons? I mean, you mentioned the Jacksons, and you can't say anything bad about them. Well, you, you know, everybody has their opinion and about you know situations, and I kind of try to. How do I say? I stick to my own. But regardless, you can't take away the legacy that was put here, and they like they kind of like memorialize the home that they used to live in here. So. That's a pretty big deal around Gary to tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All right, Mary, we we thank you for being with us, and hopefully it's not the last time that we have you on the show. No, it won't. Thank you guys for inviting me. Anytime I'll be available for you. Oh, oh we great. really thank appreciate you. that. Thank you. No and problem. congratulations, and uh, have a, a great holiday season. You too, guys. Good night. Okay, thank you. Good night. Good night. And there you have it, folks, the newly crowned 140 IBF super lightweight champion, Miss Mary Merciless McGee. First time that we have her here on the show, David. And uh, I'm glad we did. You know, I follow her on social media. Like I mentioned, her son is he's five years old. He's very precocious. He says a lot of funny things to her. Like she shares it um, on there, the things that he says to her and stuff. So um, um, it's pretty fun. It's pretty fun uh, having her on here. Uh, David, real quick, just to let you know, Lupi just contacted me and she said she's not going to be able to uh, be with us. So we're on our own uh, for this last show of 2019, okay? Okie dokie. All right, so let's go a little bit into the fight results and talk about the last uh, couple of weeks or three weeks that we've seen in female fighting, starting off on Saturday, November 23rd. From our neighbors up north, Quebec, Canada, Miss Mary Eve DeCary scored a unanimous decision over Ogledis Suarez defending her IBF. Uh, uh, well, I think it's an interim because it can't be the full-fledged IBF. Let me see what that is. Um, um, IBF title, but you know that might not be right. Let me see. Let me see what title that is because obviously we know that uh, the IBF champion is none other than Cecilia Breakhouse. But let me see what Miss. Uh, yeah, this. Canadian Mary Eve the carry. She has like super. Oh, welterweight. she's super. She's super welterweight. Yeah, I'm sorry, super welterweight. I just had a little, uh, a little bit of a typo here. So she's a super welterweight champion at the IBF. She ended up with scoring um, a unanimous decision over Ogledis Suarez. Unfortunately, David, it's really hard to find footage of her um, to see what she's up exactly. to. But you know, she's undefeated. She's winning. I mean, every time that we announce her fight results on here, we see that you know. She pretty much wins every round. So hopefully soon we get to see her in a bigger platform. You know, hopefully we get to see her fight, I don't know, like Anna Gabriels or or um, or maybe if everything works out with uh, uh, Clarissa Shields against Ivana Habazin or even Ivana Habazin, if she ends up winning that fight, see her in a unification fight on a bigger platform because we haven't really had a chance to see much of her. Also on that same fight card, Raquel Miller wins the interim WBA 154-pound title with the unanimous decision over four previously undefeated Mexican fighter Alma Ibarra. Scores there were 99-91. Uh, 
in 98, 92, two times. Uh, the same night in Ciudad Juarez, Diana Laonita Fernandez scored a unanimous decision on her former world champion Esmeralda Moreno in a 10-rounder at 115 pounds. The scores there were 99-91 two times in 97-93. Fernandez, a much bigger fighter, uh, was able to pretty much control the action just because of the, uh, the her advantage in, in height and in reach. And Esmeralda Moreno, I mean, Quite honestly, I mean, she's more apt in the 108 and even 112 pounds, and I don't know what she was thinking. I mean, quite possibly in those weight, in that weight class, she would have beaten Moreno because I think, I mean, she would have beaten Fernandez. I think Moreno is a world-class fighter, and Fernanda isn't. Fernandez isn't. I don't think that Diana Fernandez is a is a, a world champion, um, and Moreno obviously has been, but giving up so much in size. You couldn't expect much more but for Diana Fernandez to take that win in her hometown of the Ciudad Juarez. And also on Saturday, November 23rd, in Madrid, Spain, Joana Pastrana loses two in a row, this time a split decision over Katia Gutierrez in a 10-rounder for the vacant WBC Silver 105-pound title. Scores there were 96-92 two times, and 94 Gutierrez, I'm sorry, and 95-93 for Pastrana. Pastrana was down in the second, and she was deducted a point in the fourth round. So, um, if you haven't had a chance to see the David, I, I, I urge you to watch this fight. It was a pretty entertaining fight. But what I what I found um, a little bit disturbing is um, the reason that Pastrana was deducted that point, and it went back to that kind of obscure. I don't know if they have followed it a lot, David, but I remember when this rule was announced and developed by the WBC, which might have been about two or three years ago, and I don't know if you remember it, I'm sure you do, is that if there's an accidental headbutt, if you're yeah. the fighter that doesn't get cut, you get a point deducted from you. From you. Yes, I remember that. Yeah, so that's what so, happened here. There was an accidental headbutt. So not only does Pastrana go down in round second, which was a legit knockdown, she was caught by a, a, a good punch and was sent down to the canvas, but in the fourth round, there was an accidental headbutt. Gutierrez got cut on the forehead, so they went ahead and deducted a point from Pastrana, which I thought was, um, you know, ridiculous because, I mean, it's not your fault. I mean, just because Katy, because you have the harder head, now you get a point deducted. I find that uh, a little bit ridiculous. Um, and, and you can see the other way of it, David, that, well, the other one's kind of now fighting with a handicap because they're cut. Yeah, but it was accidental. I mean, it's it's in the in the, it's in the spirit of the fight that sometimes heads collide and that's what happened here and she gets a point deducted. I mean, it would have made the fight a little bit closer. It was a split decision. It was a good fight. It was one of the better fights I've seen this year with a lot of action at 105 pounds and we're going to talk about that uh one of those lower weight divisions in a little bit. But if you guys haven't seen the fight, it is on YouTube, and it is a pretty good fight. Moving on to Wednesday, November 27th in Malta, uh, in a surprise uh, result, Hannah Rankin loses against Patricia Bergut of Sweden in a schedule of uh, 10 rounds at 154 pounds. The fight was for the interim WPC and interim IBF 154-pound titles. Scores there were 96-93. 
two times in 95, 94. Say again, David? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, She she actually got knocked down with the very first punch exchange. Yeah, it was a little bit of a... Like a kind of like a uh, not even a, a a real left hook, but just kind of uh, Burgle just kind of like put her left hand out there and caught uh, ranking flush on the chin and sent her down. It was a strange, strange, and, and then she kind of tumbled over her. <laughs> yeah, but at the end, you know, it was a close fight. Scores were ninety six, ninety three, two times, and a ninety five, ninety four. And Rankin, who was who is signed to Salida Promotions, who has done some sparring with Clarissa Shields after obviously losing uh, a couple of years ago to Clarissa Shields, now finds herself on the losing side of this decision, and now she's going to have to uh, build up again to see what happens. Yeah, well, actually, Patricia Burkhalter is a pretty good, decent fighter, a little faster than Rankin. Yeah, but I kind of found that both of them were kind of like kind of raw, kind of like I don't want to say amateurish, but they need mm-hmm. both of them need a lot more polish. And for her to hold titles, even if they're interim titles at 154 pounds, needing a little bit more polish is interesting because I think she would make for interesting fights because she would just be so raw and so aggressive. But we would have to get those fights made, obviously. Yeah, exactly. Now, on Friday, November 29th, in Madrid, Miriam Gutierrez scored a unanimous decision over Karen Batiste in a 10-rounder for the interim WBA 135-pound title. Batiste was deducted two points. Gutierrez was down in the 10th from a pretty good uh, right hand, and the scores there were 96-91, 95-92, and 94-93. Good fight, David, as well. i never seen neither one of these women, but I wanted to watch this fight because obviously she – captured an interim WBA title, 135 pounds. So if Katie Taylor ends up vacating any of those titles at 135 pounds, the WBA one in this case, Gutierrez will be the full-fledged champion. Or if Katie Taylor decides to defend those titles, Gutierrez would be a a viable option for her to defend 135 pounds, pounds. Before this fight, Gutierrez was the European lightweight champion. Interesting fighter, aggressive, quick. Uh, quick-footed, quick, quick hands, uh, not as, obviously, not with the pedigree and the experience of a Katie Taylor, but I think she would could make some really good fights at 135 pounds. She fought a taller fighter in Karen Batiste. Batiste really wasn't all that uh, experienced or skill-wise or talent-wise. So I wouldn't use her as a yardstick of how Gutierrez would um, perform against a Michaela Mayer, per se, even though Mayer obviously is looking for a title at 130 pounds. But I would find it safe to say that fairly quickly after she she gets that title at 130, she'll be moving up at, to 135. But I would oh, want yeah. to see that fight against Gutierrez because I think it would be a good action fight. But let's see if Gutierrez ends up staying in Spain and kind of like being on a holding pattern to see if Katie, what Katie Taylor does, or if she tries to step up a little bit and fight, fight a little bit better world-class opposition at 135 pounds now that she's an interim WBA world champion. And that fight is also on YouTube if you haven't been able to catch it. On Saturday, November 30th, 
from the Czech Republic, Fabiana Bitiki, uh, defended her 105-pound WBC, no, actually 102-pound WBC world title against Mexican Ana Arrasola. Scores there were 97-93 and 96-94 two times. And from Monte Carlo on the zone, Cecilia Brekhus made her the zone and Abel Sanchez and Matchroom Boxing debut with the unanimous decision over former world champion Victoria Noelia Bustos. Breakhouse obviously defended her welterweight WBC, WBA, IBF, WBO, and IBO titles. David, what did you uh, think about that fight? Uh, I saw the changes in her style uh, that uh, Abel Sanchez. I, I mean, if you know Abel Sanchez, you know he has that famous Mexican-style uh, type of fighter. And uh, Cecilia Breakers has been mainly a European style. And the changeover to to Abel Sanchez means that she's going to be more aggressive. Well, in this fight, she wasn't really aggressive, but she never took – she did not go backwards, which is mm-hmm. her norm. Uh, against Abusto, she stood her ground and slugged it out. She took a lot more punches than usual, but she stood her ground and slugged it out and tried to, to go forward at, at, at most times. Yeah, you know, and I agree with you, but I, I, I did feel the sense of, like, not urgency, but I felt that Abel Sanchez wanted her to do a little bit more in the second half of the fight. Obviously, it was apparent from the opening round that Breakhouse was just too big and too strong and too tall and too long for Bustos, who was a champion at 135 and 140 pounds, and now she was fighting at 147. So I think that by by what they were saying in the corner, I believe that Abel Sanchez was really trying to push her towards being a little bit more aggressive in the second half of the fight and maybe even going for that knockout. And she was she wasn't really going with 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 uh, with what Abel wanted, but it's understandable since it was their first fight together as trainer and fighter. Yeah, I mean, after you, you fight a whole career one way, it's very hard to just suddenly change because your natural instincts are just telling you to do something else. And uh, she was fighting her own instincts, actually. And, but you know, she's an athlete. She's a super athlete perhaps one of the, the the most athletic fighters there is today in, in boxing. And uh, maybe aside from uh, uh, Clarissa Shields and, and, and Hannah Gabriels, those three women are perhaps, and Katie Taylor, of course, is mm-hmm. the most athletic women in boxing. Yeah, I would say so. I say that, uh, that, uh, uh, Clarissa Shields is up there, like you mentioned, and, and Cecilia and Katie Taylor. I would put Katie Taylor in those three as well because Katie Taylor is pretty, pretty fleet-footed and, and pretty uh, athletic uh, inside the ring. Now, around that fight time, a lot of people obviously on social media were contacting or sending messages to Clarissa Shields, mentioning to her that you know if there was any opportunity for her to face Cecilia Breakhouse. She said that she would love to, but that she probably has found her limit as far as how low she can go in weight and that it's at 154 pounds, that she started at 168 
and that she has gone down two fight divisions to get closer to Breakhouse, and that now Breakhouse must, must do her part, according to Shields, and step up to 154 pounds. I, from watching this fight, I don't think that's a good idea because what we what I saw against Bustos is that Breakhouse was basically landing every punch in the book with somewhat bad intentions. And even though Bustos is very tough and she might have a granite chin, Breakhouse wasn't even scratching the, the paint on Bustos. So I think that going up to 154 where, you know, uh, Shields is very, it's boiling herself down to make that 154. And obviously in come fight night, she's going to be a lot bigger and a lot heavier. I think that doesn't bode well for Breakhouse. And I don't see it as being as competitive um, of a fight, even though it would be possibly one of the biggest fights in female boxing that can be made in, in the next couple of years. Yeah, well, it's, it's um, she might, yeah, Clarissa just is so good, but weight it would be her enemy. I mean, just, I can't see her going down to 147, Clarissa. She's like, she mentioned she's already dropped down several weight divisions. She's at the limit. And uh, Cecilia would have to go up. That's the only way they can make that fight. There, there's you know, no way that Clarissa can drop another division. I, I I agree with you, but, I mean, with social media and, and you know, with Facebook and with Instagram and, and with everything, you can follow pretty much every fighter out there because, you know, it's in their best interest to have a social media account and to keep it active so that people could follow him and, and invest in them and become their fan. And one that has been working very hard and dropping a lot of weight, and it looks like she's almost at welterweight, is... Maria Cornejo, and she was up there at 168, 165 when she started her career. So not saying that Clarissa Shields has the same body type, and and obviously she has the same work ethic, if not better. And um, and you know, and she has the avenues to get in contact with nutritionists or and, and people that can help her with her strength and conditioning coaches and people that can help her with her diet. But you know, I. I I've seen it with my own eyes, uh, Maria Conejo getting down to close. It looks like she's really, really close to 147 now. Uh, she did mention that she was dropping down to the 147, I think. I, you know, it's smart of her because getting down to 147, she, with her record and with her, you know, personality and her, uh, uh, you know, following, she could become a viable uh, opponent for Cecilia Breakhouse and make a pretty good uh, purse there. True, true, but I think they're friends. I, I don't know if they, if she would fight her, but uh, I mean, yeah, I think who they sparred. I mean, they sparred in the past. I think that uh, I think actually you are right. I think that Cornejo a couple of camps ago helped her helped her in the in the gym. Yeah, but but um, for Cecilia to fight Clarissa Shields, all she has to do is gain one pound, <laughs> and she's in the weight class. He goes to yeah. 147 and 148, she's a super welterweight. It's very yeah. easy. But it's not that easy for Clarissa to drop down. No. Uh, it's just not. Yeah, but it looks like all roads are pointing towards uh, Katie Taylor showdown. She signed with the zone. Yeah. Uh, it, it was mentioned. She's mentioned it. So we'll see because 
Katie Taylor, she has a full dance card. I mean, there's, although I just saw something really fairly quickly that it looks like like the Delphine Pursuit, um rematch is not in the cards anymore, but there are those titles at 135 pounds. There is that pending fight against Amanda Serrano. It, at one point, she is a world champion at 140, so she could try to unify those titles against Jessica McCaskill and now our guest for tonight's show, uh, Mary McGee. So, Katie Taylor has a pretty wide panorama of options that she could go with, and possibly the biggest money fight for her might be a somewhat of a catchweight with Cecilia Breakout, although, or maybe even going all the way full-fledged 147 to face her in that weight class. I, I was told, and I don't, I forget who told me this, but Cecilia Breakout would have to drop down to 140. Wow. For that fight. So, 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 so uh, Taylor would not consider going up more in weight, like even to 145 or 144 and a half. No, she'd be fighting at 140 and. Because she was moving up, and Cecilia Breakers would have to drop down to 140. Wow, that's interesting. Then we'll see if that is something that uh, is spoken about and mentioned in a possible fight between them in the future. Now, the scores for that fight against Breakers and Bustos were 99-91 and 98-92 two times. And on Thursday, December 5th, we had our guest, Mary McGee, score a 10th round TKO over Argentina's Ana Laura Esteche in a scheduled 10-rounder to capture the vacant IBF 140-pound title. The official time was the 30 seconds. I didn't get to see the whole fight, David. I saw clips, and what I saw was that McGee was very uh, – her, her boxing technique is very, very strong. She's, she throws very straight, hard punches, quick punches, combination punches, and to me it looked like she was having – um, her way with Ana Laura Esteche uh, for the majority of the fight. I believe you watched the whole fight in its entirety uh, live. So was that the case, or did Esteche at one point put up a fight? Uh, it seemed like there was, you know, a decent fight, but that McGee is, uh, I've watched her since, oh, I'd say maybe the first time I watched her fight was about 10 years ago. And uh, she just seems to have gotten her, her strength. Uh, she just has this. Everybody hits a point in their life when they're young; they don't have it. That kind of strength in them, and she just has the strength now. I mean, she's a totally stronger fighter than she was when I first saw her fight, and uh, I almost didn't recognize her when she was fighting. Not not physically. Physically, she looks the same, but she just seems stronger. She's a much stronger fighter than she was when she when I first saw her ten years ago. And she so, seemed stronger than Esteche from the beginning. Just worked her down. So from what you saw in that fight, um, how do you position her against the other champions there at 140? Obviously, Mary McCaskill and uh, Katie Taylor, or even some of the other contenders in that weight class like Farias or... Um, uh, Lena Dartu. I think the fact that she has a title says it all. She's right there with him. Uh, she's right there with uh, McCaskill. She's right there with Katie Taylor. She'd give them all uh, problems. Uh, I, I'd 
hey, I'd like to see them all fight each other in a in a uh, what do you call it a free for all round robin. I mean, yeah, yeah, that would be a pretty interesting tournament. Uh, I think um, she. I, I was surprised. I was surprised by how strong she is now. And it sounds like she really has some pending business with Jessica McCaskill. Actually, I do remember that little back and forth that they had uh, in that incident uh, a couple of months ago. Uh, I just had forgotten about it, but when she spoke about it on the show, I, it reminded me. And it sounds like she's pretty uh, pretty uh, upset about it, and she wants that fight. So, you know, there is now there's no reason why McCaskill shouldn't face her. You know, if, if McGee is so adamant in facing her, uh, to write that that wrong that she feels was done to her because of those comments. And McCaskill told her, we'll get a world title and I'll face you. Well, now she has a world title. So there's really no reason why McCaskill, and she has a promoter, she has Lutibella, there is a, a, a somewhat of a platform to have the fight, which is UFC Fight Pass, even though the zone where Jessica McCaskill has been fighting is bigger. Um, so if they want to have it on, on the zone or they want to have it on, on USA, UFC Fight Pass, it don't matter to me. Um, but I think that now 2020 will be the time to have that fight. Yeah, that's a great showdown right there. I mean, Jessica's one heck of a fighter. Yeah, I think that would be a great fight. And whoever wins that fight gets Katie Taylor. How about that? Yeah, there you go. We just, there you go. We just made a... The, the fight for the end of the year. <laughs> yeah, we just matchmaked it. We just matchmaked it. See, let's listen to this. Amanda goes down to 135 and fights uh, Serrano in her first fight of the year. If she wins that one, obviously. Then she has another fight at 140 in the middle of the year while uh, McGee and McCaskill duke it out. And whoever wins that fight fights Katie Taylor at the end of 2020. Yeah, that's 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 a super. I mean, two twenty twenty is going to be a heck of a year. I mean, yeah, it's already... I, have, I have no problem with that timeline right there. Now on Saturday, December seventh, in Canada, Kim Clavel scored the unanimous decision over Esmeralda Sagahon to score uh, the vacant NBF one hundred eight pound title. Scores there were one hundred ninety three times, and in Virginia, Tiara Brown scored a unanimous decision over Simone Aparecida da Silva at 130 pounds, scores there were 80, 72, three times. And on Saturday as well, on December 7th, this past Saturday, in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center, Luisa Bang Bang Lulu Hadden defended her interim WBC Adam Weight title with a hard fought entertaining unanimous decision over Lorraine Villalobos. Um, at, the Brook- at the Barclays Center, Hudson uh, went down on on the canvas. I think it was in the what round was that? Dave? Fifth or sixth round? Uh, sixth round. Sixth round. The scores were very, very, very close. Ninety five, ninety four, three times. David, this was possibly one of the best fights of the year. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, you know, it's funny because I was telling people watch this fight. Uh, the first time they fought, the only reason that. Uh, that that Houghton won the fight. Well, not the only reason, but what happened is that Lorraine Villalobos wasn't prepared to go 10 rounds, and she ran out of gas. But up until she ran out of gas, they were going at it. And so they did the rematch. So I was telling people, watch this fight. This is going to be something. And they did it again. And, but one thing, Louisa Houghton is one of the most entertaining fighters 
in female boxing. There's no doubt about that. She may she's like Miss Excitement. And then Lorraine Villalobos is this little tiny girl with a big punch. And both of them, both of them can bang. And uh, they just banged it out. They banged it out for 10 rounds. Different styles, but they sure match together. Yeah, they do. And it was a good fight. It was an action-packed, action-packed fight, um, being that they're both weighing in at 102 pounds. Uh, you know, we know that those weight classes in the men, well, the men only go up down to 105. But in the women, they're going down 105 and 102. But those are the weight classes that are going to throw them more punches. But in this case, and in the case of Villalobos, not only was she throwing a lot of punches, keeping up with, with Luisa, but her punches packed a, uh, some power because she was able to send Haddon down to the canvas with a left hook that found its home throughout the fight. There's, it, Haddon has no response for that left hook from, from Villalobos. Yeah, it's like she, she knew she could land that punch and she kept using it throughout the fight. And uh, it wasn't just luck. I mean, she could fight. She just, they both have skills. They're, they're different skills. Houghton's super aggressive, and Villalobos used that to her advantage uh, by counterpunching. But uh, there was no lack of action. No lack of action now, at all. Now, the first fight ended in a official TKO win for Houghton since um, Villalobos didn't come out for the sixth round in that first fight. But like you mentioned, she got the call uh, how many days before? A week before? Yeah, uh, less than a week, I think it was. It was yeah, and, by Brenda yeah, and then now this fight ends at 95, 94, three times. So I think it warrants a rematch. I think that, you know, if you wanted to put it together again, maybe on the West Coast where both Villalobos and Haddon are kind of based at. Villalobos lives in the, obviously in Southern California. Haddon uh, trains out of there. She's originally from Australia. So why not have a rematch on the West Coast? Because really at 102 pounds, the, there really isn't a lot of uh, fighters that you can face in that weight class um, that would make sense. Although there is the Mexican Montserrat Alarcón, who she just won that title. Uh, she's the WBA champion. Uh, Harden would have to travel possibly to the Czech Republic to challenge Fabiana Bitiki, who just defended the title against Ana Rasola. Uh, not too long ago. And then if you wanted to go after the IBF and the WBO, you got to go over to Japan where Saimi Hanagata owns the IBF title and Mika Iwakawa is the WBO champion. So if you, they want to keep it going and they want to keep it going in the United States, uh, it's probably the better road to make a rematch between them. Don't you think, David? Uh, yeah, I think the Japanese would come over. They They... Most Japanese women want to fight in the U.S. If you ask any Japanese champion, even the men, they want to fight in the U.S. because they know that boxing is big here. And they, I'm sure any of the Japanese or any of the Asian fighters would come to the U.S. to fight in a heartbeat. Well, I hope that Elvis Graham Phillips, who is uh, Luisa Haddon's manager and trainer and obviously is the uh, namesake and the founder of Grant boxing gloves um, can work out some kind of deal with um, either Showtime who uh, you mentioned David before the show started were very impressed by the fight or uh, with the zone um, 
to possibly get some of those fights made in the United States. Yeah, yeah, whoever wants to pick it up. Uh, I mean, little girls can bang. I think the world finally saw that because there's been a dearth of fighters being shown uh, below 120 pounds, and uh, they finally saw what they bring. And uh, the little girls can bang. They really can. It's not a shock to us that have seen it before, but to the rest of the world, I'm sure it was a shock. Now, Haran is not afraid to travel um, to Japan. She did go out there in 2016 where she captured the WBO 108-pound title. So I'm sure that she's willing to go back there to try to pick up another title, uh, whether it be the IBF or the WBO. Obviously, the other um, part of that puzzle will be Mexican Brenda Flores from here from Tijuana, Mexico. But right now, she's a little indisposed. She's pregnant. And obviously, after giving birth, she would need some time to get down to that weight class, which is not very easy. You know, she wasn't a a career 102-pound fighter, Brenda Flores. You know, she started off as a as a uh, uh, light, uh, flyweight, I'm sorry, and then gradually would fluctuate between super flyweight, light flyweight, flyweight, uh, and then kind of like holding that light flyweight. And then for that fight against Louisa Hannon, dropped to 102, actually 102 and a half, which was a bit controversial. I remember that, that time back then. Um, so, we don't know what's going to happen with Brenda Flores um, after she has that baby, if she even even comes back to female boxing. Um, but that was a great fight between them um, back in, uh, when was that, 2018? Yeah, February. Yeah, two, September, September of 2018 was against Luisa oh, Hannah. Oh, yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we'll see what happens there. And finally, in the fight uh, results on Wednesday, December 11th, one that had one that had uh, announced her retirement, but she's still fighting, is uh, Sweden's Michaela Lawrence scoring a unanimous decision over Patti Ramirez in a six-rounder in Sweden. Scores were not announced, and that fight was at 154 pounds. So before we move on to uh, what's coming up next in the next two or three weeks, like we mentioned at the beginning of the show, our next show it's going to be on January 9th where we're going to be having the best of 2019. There we're going to be announcing uh, the two-minute rounds, promoter of the year, fighter of the year, fight of the year, knockout of the year, and so on and so forth, which I know that you guys are all waiting anxiously. Uh, uh, let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the world of box, uh, female boxing. Uh, just uh, last week, or was it this week or earlier this week? No, it was last week. The inaugural female boxing first female boxing class for the international boxing hall of fame was announced and the three women that were uh, announced to be part of the international boxing hall of fame the first time ever in the history of that hall of fame um somewhat historic is none other than christy martin lucia Riker, and in the uh what do they call the the older uh category Oh, she's old timers, or or no, no, they call it the pioneers or the trailblazers or something like that. It's gonna be Miss um, Barbara Budrick, who is, you know, if you're into female boxing, you know the story of Miss Barbara Budrick. She was a fighter in the 30s and the 40s, um, and she did a, a lot 
for female boxing back then. But in the modern times, is Christy Martin Lucia Riker. And I find it quite surprising that the one that didn't make the cut, at least in for 2020, was none other than Layla Ali. Well, it's hard to beat Martin and, and Riker because they're basically combined. Uh, I'll leave it a little later. She'll definitely get him next time. Yeah, I mean, I thought that. Uh, I mean, the 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 nominees was packed. I mean, it was Christy Martin, it was Lucia Riker, it was Ana Serrano, it was Leila Ali. Um, there was a bunch of names on there. Um, Anne Wolf. Yeah. Um, and I thought that the top three were going to be Christy Martin, Lucia Riker, but I personally thought that Leila Ali was going to be able to kind of squeak by because of the name and also the level that she was able, the, the, not the level, the attention that she was able to bring to female boxing in, in, in during her time, which was possibly on par, if not a little bit more than Christy Martin, and quite considerably more, the attention that she brought to female boxing than Lucia Riker. Well, Riker, I mean, right, the people that voted were all experts in the women's field. They weren't mm-hmm. just the general boxing public. So you can't fool the people that actually voted. They know who Lucia Riker is. Many people consider Lucia Riker the best female fighter of all time until now. You know, we now we got a Katie and a Clarissa and but up to now it's Lucia Riker's always been up there. The, she's been known as being among the very, very most talented fighters. And Christy Martin, of course, you had to vote her in because Christy is the modern female fighter. Yeah. See, I mean, she's the only one. She's the one. Well, she was the first female fighter, female boxer, female fighter, female uh, combat sport, female fighter to ever grace the cover of Sports Illustrated, which in this country, in the United States, is um, considered the epitome of sports publications, if you want to, if you want to say that, you know, and she, and she graced the cover of that. Um, the first female fighter to ever do so, obviously she was on those undercards for Don King with Mike Tyson and she had all that attention and she's pretty much the first in everything when it comes to uh, female boxing and well-deserved. And she's still at it. She's a promoter out there in uh, Virginia, South Carolina, or somewhere out there. So, um, so we congratulate her and they are going to be inducted officially in June of 2020. Now, like we also mentioned at the beginning of the show, our third co-host, our, our friend Lupi Gutierrez is out in Louisiana at the U S Olympic trials. She is there supporting the organization. Her sister started in the beautiful brawlers and the, the young women that they mentor and they train who are making their bids for the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. But one thing that is also making the rounds and it just came out recently is that uh, the former WBC and now WBA uh, super featherweight champion, Delphine Pursun, is going to be making a bid for the Olympics. She is going to try to make it to the Olympic team of Belgium. If not, if they already, if not, they already gave her the spot. I don't know how it's going to work in her country. And another fighter that's going to be doing the same thing is going to be Argentina's Erika Farias, who we mentioned here, who had fought 
Mary McGee and who in her last fight challenged for the WBC and um, WBA super lightweight cha- uh, titles against Jessica McCaskill. She also announced that she is going to be getting ready for the uh, 2020 Tokyo Olympics uh, next year. So, David, um, you know, that's something that the WBC and Marisa Suleiman has fought against. Um, I know for a fact that the Mexican government actually sent out uh, letters to uh, all the female fighters or a lot of the female fighters in Mexico, a lot of the female champions in Mexico, like Mariana Juarez and like Iber La Roca Zamora, and they 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 said no. They 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 said they would not go into the limits. That they're not going to go back into the amateurs. Um, so what do you think is going to be uh, the consequences for a person and a fighter and what another female that might go the Olympic route? Uh, you know, I'm not sure because there's different sanctioning organizations involved, and you know, uh, boxing is not one entity, so. It, um, nobody's going to be able to do anything, penalize them at all. But but I think it's kind of uh, selfish for professionals to go into the amateurs. Uh, there's also a danger that they could actually hurt somebody because they're going to be competing against uh, these teenagers, and and it's it's just it's just not right. If you're a professional, you shouldn't be participating in the amateur sport. And that's basically what's happening. It's not like basketball or baseball, which are non-combat sports. This is combat. Mm. Somebody could die. And uh, I think for them to want to go get a medal uh, and endanger somebody else's life, because they are professionals. They've been trained for for years, some of them, to hurt people. It's, it's, It's selfish, extremely selfish. Now, one thing that I do believe the WBC did state is that if one if a fighter that was at one time ranked by the WBC or any fighter, whether they're ranked or not, that they were going to be suspended from the rankings for, I think, two years, and they weren't going to be able to be ranked by the WBC if they did go to the Olympics as professional fighters and now amateurs. So there is a little bit of a consequence, at least from the WBC, and that is something that Marisa Suleiman of WBC has been fighting uh, since its announcement that the Olympics were going to allow uh, professional fighters to um, to participate. And I haven't really heard, maybe I'm wrong, maybe they have said something, but I haven't seen it from the other sanctioning bodies like the IBF and the WBO and the WBA, if they're going to be um, punishing uh, whatever professional fighter into going to Olympics. So we'll see what happens. That that's a uh, that's a a story that is breaking right now, and it's going to continue all the way to the summer of 2020 and see how they do. Now, one other thing before we move on is that um, Mariana Juarez, La Barbie Juarez, who is the IBF WB, I'm sorry, the WBC 118 pound champion, she is making a, a a bid. She is starting to make some noise. She's starting to uh, give interviews and and make appearances where she concentrates on asking the WBC for a shot at the 122 pound title, which was just captured by Yamiles Mercado over Fatima Surica uh, not too long ago. Sarika, um, you know, 
she, that is a, a title that she has been looking for for quite a while. She's mentioned it here on the show quite a few times. She wants to be a four-divisional world champion. She is a three-divisional world champion right now, the first in Mexico, and she wants to be the first four-divisional world champion for Mexico. She is with Promociones del Pueblo, which is the rival promoter, then Sanford Promotions, which is the uh, the uh, promoter for Mercado. I would imagine that the WBC would allow um, Mercado to defend her title a couple of times so that she could kind of ground herself as a world champion. But we're going to see which of these promoters has more pull with the WBC um, and, and see how much noise uh, Mariano Juarez can make to get an opportunity to fight for that world title. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, she's been uh, lobbying for that for a couple of years. Yeah, but, the you know, her promoter, Promociones del Pueblo, they have an association with Cancun Boxing. They have, like, Lupita Martinez, who's going to be fighting this weekend, uh, defending her 115-pound title with the WBC. They have, like, Ivette La Roca Zamora. They have, you know, obviously, Barbie Juarez. They have Yesenia Gomez, who is a 108-pound champion. So I'm sure that the WBC would like to keep that promoter happy, eh, eh, Promociones del Pueblo, um, because they pay all those sanctioning fees to have all those world champions hold those titles. So I guess I think it's going to get to a point where it becomes a political thing. And at one point or another, I think that Mauricio Soleiman is going to have to cave and give her that shot. Well, you know, it's funny because on one side, you, you, the lower weight you have uh, Mexico dominating, and then at the higher weight you have Europe dominating. So yeah. it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Now, anything else that you want to add there to the fight chatter, David? Uh, no, I just uh, just a little bit. Uh, what I've heard is that there, there's the word is that there is a tournament coming for women uh, that it might come early next year. Uh, I'm not sure which network is going to, whether it's going to be Showtime or DAZN, but there is a lot of uh, talk about a, tur- a female tournament. Maybe there's two, two tournaments. And what weight class? Uh, I'm hearing middleweights is one, and the other one is super lightweights. Super lightweights, but and, and it would be. Network. And it would be a tournament, like kind of like the the Super Series of boxing, where you know they have yeah. like quarterfinals and semifinals, and then eventually finals spread out over a, a year, a year and a half. Uh, they haven't said the time frame, how long it's going to last. They also didn't say what kind of setup it is, but that's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing middleweights, and the other one is uh, uh, super lightweights. Well, we'll keep an eye out for that to see if that comes into fruition, which at whatever weight class they make a tournament, it would be interesting because it would be a, it would be a lot of, uh, of uh, attention put on female boxing. Whenever you have a tournament, and we've seen it with the Super Series of, of boxing where we had that 140-pound tournament where Josh Taylor ended up winning. We had that first cruiserweight uh, tournament uh, that uh, Usyk ended up winning. We had that we just had that Bantamweight tournament with uh, Naoi Inoue, who ended up winning it. So whenever you have a tournament, it, it draws a lot of attention. 
So I would I believe that it could only do good whatever weight class it is, 160 or 10 uh, or 140. Even the WBC had that little uh, tournament at 112 pounds, which was pretty entertaining as well. So uh, any tournament that you put in together in boxing where you start facing uh, some really good fighters is always a good thing. So uh, let's move on to the upcoming calendar. Uh, like I mentioned, like we mentioned. Uh, our next show is on January 9th here on the Two Minute Round, your blog, your hooks and jabs look at the female boxing world, uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash Two Minute Round, 7.30 p.m. Pacific time. Um, that will be our next show, January 9th, and we will have a full panel with Mr. David Aguila, Ms. Lupi Gutierrez, and myself. We will all be back from, you know, the holiday season and from the trips that we might be taking to put on the best of 2019 edition of the two-minute round. So these are the fights. There's not a lot, but there is a little bit of a handful of fights that are going to be happening from here on to January 9th, starting on Saturday, December 14th. This Saturday in Argentina, Daniela Bermudez, the one of the Bermudez sisters from Argentina, will be defending her WBO 118-pound title against Marianela Soledad Ramirez in a scheduled 10-rounder. And in Cancun, Mexico, Guadalupe Martinez will be defending her WBC 115-pound title against Devani Valdera, also in a scheduled 10-rounder. And in Pennsylvania, Alicia Baumgarter, the lightweight, will be taking on in an eight-rounder um, Cristina del Valle in Pennsylvania, and that will be uh, the main event out there in Pennsylvania. Alicia Baumgartner taking taking on Cristina del Valle in a scheduled eight rounder at 135 pounds on Sunday, December 15th. This is like the third fight that she has on a Sunday as she steadily uh, comes back and starts put racking up some wins. The former WBC Super Flyweight Champion Sulina Lova Munoz now campaigning at 118 pounds. She'll be fighting on December 15th, this Sunday, in Mexico City against Freddy Gonzalez in a scheduled eight-rounder. And at the McBride Hall in Gary, Indiana, where we, I would only imagine that Miss Miss Mary McGee will be at this Sunday night. Summer Lynn will be facing Latasha Burden in a six-rounder at 147 pounds. David, do you know who who's stable Summer Lynn is in uh yeah that's our a good friend rick ramos so rick ramos and his team are gonna be in gary indiana in the home of miss mary mcgee i wonder if jessica mccaskill is gonna be there well, i don't know but that is rick ramos team yes he um, is and yeah. now i did see I did see some pictures where rick ramos and i think jessica mccaskill are in louisiana so are they gonna be back for sunday's fight in 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 uh in Gary Indiana, I, I would imagine so. They'll take, but I thought the finals were aren't the finals for the tournament in in Louisiana on Sunday. You know, I'm not sure. I couldn't I couldn't mm. answer that. But you might well, be we'll right. See. But let's see if uh, if Jessica McCaskill makes her way to Gary Indiana and maybe has a little bit of a face to face with uh, Mary McGee. Hopefully the the fireworks don't start early without having a a proper uh, fight out there on Saturday, December 21st in Germany, Tina Ruprecht, Ruprecht, Ruprecht 
defends her WBC. Ruprecht defends her WBC 105-pound title against Catalina Diaz in a scheduled 10-rounder. And Casey Morton makes her way out to the Philippines once again to take on Sawaluk Naripangzi in an 8-rounder at 115 pounds. In, and in Florida on December 21st, right before the holidays, Maureen Shea takes on Gabriela Meze in an 8-rounder at 126 pounds. David, we spoke about this before. Why doesn't Marie Shea get a shot at a title? She's fighting pretty regularly. She has probably about 40 fights now. Not a lot of them are losses, or not even not even that many. I mean, why 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 have these fights and not buy for a world title? I don't know. That's a good question. Maybe we should have Marine uh, uh, as one of our guests. We can ask. Yeah, her. she's 38 years old. She's 28 and two with one with only one draw. She hasn't lost since Good 2009. Since 2009, David, she had back-to-back losses in 2009. She lost to Kina Malpartida, who's retired. And after that, she lost to Lindsay Garbat. And since then, she has not lost. And she she's fought and fought and fought and fought and never against a bigger name or for a world title or for a regional title. Uh, she did the last- for a world title in Los Angeles. She fought back in 2015 for a world title yeah. against. It was a draw against yeah, Juliana Alejandra. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was a draw, split decision draw. It was for the IBF and uh, and a regional uh, IFBA, the International Female Boxing Association world title. Um, and, and that's it. You know, so maybe we should have her on here and talk about that and what the plan is um, for her. I mean, I would imagine that at 38 years old and before she she retires, she would want to have at least one more shot at glory and try to win a world title. And maybe that's what she's building for, but I, w- I would love to hear what that plan is. But she will be fighting on December 21st in Miami, Florida against Gabriela Mezzi in an A-rounder at 126 pounds. And on Saturday, December 28th in Atlanta, Georgia, um, a recent guest of the show here, Miss Mia Killer B. Ellis will be doing her pro debut against Miaisa, Maisha O'Glesby in a four-rounder at 140 pounds. So she might be a player at the super lightweight division pretty soon. And on Tuesday, December 31st, in Tokyo, Japan, Miyo Yoshida takes on Ling Pang Shi in a 10-rounder at 150 pounds, 115 pounds, defending her WBO world title. David, that is the upcoming fight schedule from here to January 9th. Any closing comments from you uh, about 2019? Uh, My closing comments are 2019 has been a heck of a year. This has been the best year ever in my uh, knowledge of female boxing. And I can only imagine that uh, 2020 is going to be even better. Just to go back to when we started the show, David, and I I believe that um, one of the the fights that, that was brewing or had just happened or were about to happen when we started this show was, and we were very excited about it when it was happening was that fight with Amanda Serrano against Jasmine Rivas. And it was broadcast on Showtime extreme. Remember that? Oh yeah. And we were excited because obviously it was going to be a great fight and it would turn out to be a really good fight because it was two high level fighters, but we were also excited because it was going to be actually broadcast on 
uh, not on major network, not on Showtime, but on a channel that was very available to anybody that was into boxing. If you're into boxing, you have Showtime, and if you have Showtime, you have Showtime Extreme. And that fight was broadcast on there. Who would have thought that from then to now, we would have seen boxing on The Zone, on HBO, on Showtime number of times, on ESPN, on Facebook, that we would have three uh, undisputed uh, and, and, and uh, undisputed and unified world champions in three different divisions, and everything that we've seen from that fight, which I believe was in 2015, to now. So um, this year, just like you mentioned, has gotten better and better, and 2020, we believe and you believe that it's going to be even better. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, they're just about crashing that door wide open. And uh, we're starting to see the, the payroll, uh, the, the checks go up. All these purses are are extraordinary. I mean, mm-hmm. Katie Taylor is surpassing $500,000. Uh, Clarissa Shields uh, hitting that same mark. Of, I mean, that's extraordinary. I mean, yeah. uh, we it's the best that we could imagine. Pretty soon... The 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 minimum's gonna be like at least twenty thousand for for female title fights. I, I can foresee that coming real quick. There you go. So uh we thank all of you that have been with us in the last twelve months here on the two minute round, your hooks and jazz look at female boxing, and we hope that you're with us for the next twelve months of two thousand and twenty. And we hope that you're with us on January 9th, where we're going to have our best of 2019 show. So with that said, on behalf of Mr. David Avila, on behalf of Mrs. Lupi Gutierrez, and um, and on my behalf, Felipe Leon, we wish you a very happily, happy and safe holiday season. And we'll talk to you guys next year. Have a good night. Have a good night. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.